0: Uh, how many of you have ever flown in a plane? Uh, flown a plane? Okay, good. Most of you. Maybe you'll get this. One of the first plane rides that I took when I was younger uh, happened during a storm. So I'm at the airport. It's like raining. There's thunder and lightning. And it's late morning when I'm getting on the plane, but it's dark outside. You know, you know there's thunder, clouds, and everything are there. It's just black, it's dark. And it's kind of weird, and so we're going down the gangway there to get on the plane, and you can hear the rain coming down, and, and we're taxiing out, and the rain's coming, it's dark, you can see the lights on the runway and everything, and we take off, and you know how when you get in that when it, they pick up and it goes steep up in the air, and you're like, oh, that's always a freaky feeling, you know the G force, whatever that thing is, woo, so we take off, we start going, I'm looking out the window. Because, you know, i have flown very many times, and I want to see what's going on. I'm looking out the window, and it's just, like, dark. And I can see kind of some lights from the city and stuff below. We get farther and farther away, and then we enter, like, the cloud cover. And I'm looking out the window, and, like, everything just goes black. The only time I can see anything is when there's a lightning flash, and, like, the clouds kind of light up. And then I can kind of see the wing for a brief second. And the little gremlin that's sitting out on the wing, you know, like, that, what's that movie where I come, ah, freaked out every time. And um, so we're going through the thing, and it's just black, you can't see anything unless the lightning comes. And, and you know that moment when you're in a difficult situation, you're kind of nervous, you're kind of anxious, and it, it, there's this like tipping point where it lasts just a little bit longer than you expect that it should. And you you start questioning, like, twilight zone? Am am I ever going to get out of this? Are we going to stay in the clouds forever? Like, is the plane, like, I don't know what's going on. It's uncomfortably long that we're in the cloud cover, and the lightning is coming, and the wing lights up, and then it goes away, and it's dark, and you can't see anything else. And we're there, and I'm starting to get nervous, like, hyperventilating. I'm looking for a little puke bag. Um, I'm like, this is not going to be good for anybody. And just about that time, it begins to lighten up outside. And, and it's still cloudy, but it, like, it just like, it starts getting brighter, and gets brighter and brighter, brighter. And, and, and just as I'm starting to just like really lose it, we break through the cloud cover and begin to rise above the clouds. You ever flown when you've done that? Totally different perspective. You come up through the clouds, and, and, and what I saw on the top was so much different from what you see underneath. It's cloudy, and it's dark, and it's dreary, and it's depressing, and you get up on top of the clouds, and the sun is brilliant, and the light is shining down from the top of those thunderheads. They're white and beautiful. It looked like a, like a down comforter just kind of wrapping the whole earth. It was just warm and fuzzy inside. It was so nice. And, and I remember thinking, this is, this is crazy. I was so freaked out just a second ago. And now there's just like this sense of calm. And, and I mean, I am in a tin can at 30,000 feet. So this is a little freaky. But it's just such a different perspective when you're up that high. Whether you've ever flown into and and out of a storm before or not, there have probably been times in your life where you felt like I did in the midst of those clouds, like you're not going to survive. I'm not going to make it out of this alive. This is an impossible situation. These are impractical options available to me. They're suffocating challenges. And we thought things that, you know, like, this will never improve. I'll never get out of this. I'll never be, it'll never be better. I'm just going to stay in this place forever. And what we learn in those times is that when you're in the middle of a storm, it's hard to see clearly. You think about the decisions that you might make when you're in the middle of a storm in life. You know how they say, don't go shopping when you're hungry? I think, I think it should be true that like, you just shouldn't make any big life decisions when you're in the midst of a storm in your life, because we're just not thinking clearly, right? I mean, our perspective of, of life is just doom and gloom and, and, and bad, and so many people in life, I think they get in that, in that, we're like in the clouds, and it's dark, and it's dreary, and I can't see my way out, and I make a decision that ends up affecting the rest of my life, and, and And if I could have just held back a little bit and gained a new perspective, things might have turned out differently. Today, we're going to wrap up a two-part series we've been on called The Hidden Option, and it's based on the book by the same name by Jonathan Malm. Last week, we talked about how God's existence means that there's always more possibilities in our life than we can see, right? We talked about this, this hope that God's presence in our lives gives us. And, it, and that hope gives us the drive and the strength to keep going through those difficult times. We have hope that God's going to provide a way out. We have hope that God's going to do something. He's going to act in our lives. He's going to act on our lives or through somebody else and help us through the situation. And that hope gives us strength and the drive to search for creative alternatives to our most difficult struggles. Today, we're going to wrap this up by, by looking at practical ways to find the hidden options in our own impossible situations. And we're going to discover that the secret ingredient to pushing through when life is difficult, when we're in the midst of those struggles, the secret ingredient to pushing through in those times and finding those hidden options is faith. So hope gives us the, the drive to continue, and faith really allows us to hold on and find those options in the middle of our struggles. And so we're going to use the Old Testament story of Gideon from the period of Israel's history where they were led by judges. So if you're unfamiliar with Israel's history, Jewish history, I'll give you a little uh, tiny synopsis. God brought the, the Israelite people, the Jewish people, out of Egypt, remember there's a Pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud that, that led them during the day and the night for 40 years as they wandered through the desert before they came into the promised land and crossed the Jordan River. Now, once they were there, they were at home and they set up the tabernacle. God began to speak to his people through prophets. And so there were different men, you may know some of them, Elijah, uh, Samuel, Nathan, uh, not as well known, but still in there, he's the guy that talked to David, and so there were prophets throughout history, and God spoke to those men, some women, and then they went and they talked to the king, or they talked to whoever, they talked to the people, Um, before they had kings, they just went to the people, and they said, this is what God says. Well, after a while, the Israelite people stopped listening to their prophets, they stopped following God and there's this cycle that the Israelites would go through over and over again and and they would not listen to the prophets they were doing whatever they wanted they were worshiping other gods they were not following through with what God wanted them to do and so the next stage for God was these judges and so God would punish Israel by bringing other nations into Israel and and they would like subjugate them they'd come in they'd take their food or uh, whatever they, they, they'd take some of them back to their country um, to be like forced workers for them back there and so God uh, would then bring about these judges that would come up and uh, they would rally the Israelite the warriors of men to fight and they would go out and do battle against Israel's enemies God would bring them victory and then they'd follow God for a while and then they'd fall away And then God would bring another judge. And so um, we get a bunch of judges, Gideon and Jephthah and uh, Ehud. uh, And there's a bunch of guys in the book of Judges. You can read about that in the Old Testament that God used. uh, Even some women, Deborah uh, was one of them. And and God used them to bring the nation back to him. This was um, before kings came along, okay, before Saul and David and the reign of kings began in Israel. So the story of Gideon is special among the judges because of where Gideon's story begins. Not where it ends, because it ends pretty much all, like all the judges. In fact, once we get through the story, uh, the rest of Gideon's life is, is pretty bad. But in the middle of it right here, um, it starts off really weird. He has to overcome some personal obstacles. Gideon has like this really bad self-doubt. He has really low self-esteem. He deals with fear and, and, and really feels like these impossible odds are against him. And so he's having a difficult time coming up with creative solutions to rescue Israel. So that's kind of where Gideon is. He's a young man when God calls him to, uh, 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 to lead the nation and to defeat the Midianites that have amassed this great big army. And so that's kind of what's going on. Gideon was the youngest son in his family, a family that, according to him, um, was really nothing special. In fact, he, he says in uh, the story, Judges uh, 6, I believe it is, um, he says, look, I, I, I'm the least in my family, and my family is the least uh, of our tribe. And so he's like, look, I'm nobody special. I'm the youngest, I'm the squirt, I, I'm, the, I'm the guy that like, everything gets dumped on, I'm not the guy to lead Israel. He had no power. His family had no position or pull within the community. When God spoke to Gideon and tapped him to rescue Israel, Gideon wasn't being brave. He was actually being a, a, little, a little bit of a coward. Gideon was hiding from the Midianites in a wine press to get some wheat. And he was struggling with that, and he, he didn't want anybody to see him, and so he was Hiding out trying to do this because he was afraid the Midianites might find him. Now, for some time, the Midianite people had been oppressing Israel, they'd been destroying their crops and herds. And it was so bad that if you lived in a city in Israel, when it was time for the Midianites to come in for harvest, the people in the city would go, they'd leave their cities, they'd leave their homes, and they'd go up into the mountains and they'd hide in caves until the Midianites came in. They'd kind of devour everything. In fact, the text says they were like locusts coming in. And once they left, then the people would go back to their homes and and see what was left over. As far as Gideon was concerned, God had abandoned Israel. Gideon had heard stories of miracles that God had done, parting the sea and and, uh, turning the water so they could drink it. But he hadn't seen anything from God in his lifetime. And so maybe it's like the stories we hear about uh, from our parents or grandparents, And, and they're interesting stories, but we really have a difficult time understanding how they felt and made it through that, because we don't have any frame of reference for that. And that's how Gideon was. He didn't have a frame of reference for God being actively involved in the nation of Israel. And so Gideon believed his situation was hopeless. The Midianites had destroyed Israel And then they'd amassed this army, 135,000 fighting men. There was no way that Israel could stand against that kind of power and God being a recurring no-show. Well, I don't know your story today. But I'll bet at least one time in your life, you've probably felt a little bit like Gideon. Maybe um, you had a time in your life, or maybe right now you kind of see yourself as nothing special. You'd say like, you know, I came from a poor family. I, I, I don't have a lot of skills. I, I'm just trudging through life. And, and maybe you're just kind of hoping that like nothing bad happens because you're like, I just can't handle anything else. Seems like just one bad thing after another comes up and, and, and God just pleases keep anything bad from happening because I can't take it. Maybe you felt like you just never had the chances or the the opportunities that others had in life. And no matter how hard you worked or what you might be able to accomplish, it it just, it never quite was enough. You never quite got out of the hole. You never quite like got on top of things. and, And so you've struggled with that. Maybe in your life, you just like got a bone to pick with God. You're just like, hey God, like, like you're supposed to be there and you're supposed to be loving and you're supposed to care for me and want the best for me, but I don't see that in my life. And then I see other people that seem to be succeeding and, and doing well, and, and they talk about how you know God's leading them in this and taking care of that. And God, where are you in in my life? Maybe you begin to think that God looks at you like maybe you feel everybody else does. Maybe you even begin to think that the stories that other people are telling about God, like they're just making it up to make him sound good. There are times in our lives, like Gideon, when we perceive ourselves or our situation as hopeless. But however you see yourself or what you're going through today, I hope you hear this loud and clear. God's perspective is greater than your perception whatever you're going through in life and whatever's happening right now however you perceive the situation that you're going through and 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 maybe you're like like this will never get better i'll never get out of this life will never be different god's perspective of you and your situation today is greater than your perception we're going to see this reality played out in Gideon's story. So I'm going to jump in this morning. We're going to be in uh, Judges chapter 7, and we're going to start in, verses, uh, in verse 1, and, and there's a lot of text here today to get through the story of Gideon, so I'm just going to like blow through it, so follow along. Um, it'll be up on the screen, so you can follow along that way, or if you have a, a phone with a Bible app or whatever, you can go to Judges 7. Or if you follow along on the My Message Notes link on the website, you can do that as well. Go to reallifecc.us, uh, click on My Message Notes, and all the notes from this morning's message are there, including the text for, um, uh, for this morning in Judges chapter 7, so you can follow along that way. Here's what it says. Early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. So God had called Gideon. He'd say, gather up uh, Israelites, as many as you can, and I'm going to lead you into battle against the Midianites. And so um, Gideon did that. He called, uh, he blew the torn for for war, and about 32,000 Israelites came to battle 135,000 Midianites. Okay, so the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Excuse me, God, what was that? I got 32,000 guys, uh, God, and most of them are farmers and uh, ranchers, and we're going to go up against Midian's 135,000 trained military people. I got too many men? Like, I, that's new math, I guess. Uh, I don't understand how that works out. But anyway, God says there's too many men. Look at what he says. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me, my own strength has saved me. So God's saying, look, you've got 32,000 guys, but if you go to battle and I defeat the Midianites for you, your military people are going to say, look what we accomplished. 32,000 men, and we put down 135,000. Aren't we great? And so God says, that's not how I work. When I go to battle, I get the glory for what's going on, and so you've got too many men. And so he says in verse 3, Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Now, I I, I never served in the military, but I know a few of you uh, uh, have. I know we got some Marines in here. Whoa, Right? Is that what they say? I don't know. Not very good at it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I, Jared Jared served. Jared was a marine. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure they never gave you the option, right? <laughs> like, dude, look. If you're scared, just hang back. Don't worry about it. Just say that. No, no. It's like get in, like go. Right? You're you're the first. You're the tip of the spear. You're gonna go. It doesn't matter. And so Gideon goes these 32,000 guys. And he says, look, if any of you are scared, just, just leave. Don't worry about it. Nobody's going to think less of you. Just go. And so this gives you an idea of the kind of people that Israel was. They had 32,000 men to start with. 22,000 men left. 22,000 said, eh, I'm okay. <laughs> I'll keep hiding in caves and whatever. You, 10, 000, you The rest of you go and fight the battle. Okay, so 10,000 men remained. Verse 4. For the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. (laughs) What? Okay. God says, take them down to the water, and I will thin them out there. So um, if I say, this one shall go with you, he'll go. But if I say, this one shall not go, he shall not go. That's how it works with God, by the way. He says, this is what you do, and then you do it. If it's don't do it, you don't do it. That's kind of how he works. Okay. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. So 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Now, none of that sounds very good, okay? But let me give you a a, a picture. Um, What's happening is 3,000 of them kind of got down on one knee. They cupped the water with their hands and they drank it out of their hands while they kept their eyes up watching what was going on. Now, if you ever serve in the military, you know uh, you got to keep your, what do they say, head on a swivel, right? you gotta, You got to be looking. you got to be aware of what's going on. The other guys, they got down on their hands and knees and put their face in the water so they couldn't see anybody coming. And, and so God was saying, look, those, these guys aren't fit for battle. They're not prepared to go to war. So the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but he kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now that's important because trumpets are going to come in a little later. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. And during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down to the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, uh, yeah, I'm afraid, okay, Go down to the camp with your servant and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So Gideon and his servant went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, the other eastern people had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. (laughs) By the way. I just say this because I'm getting to a stage in my life where I kind of resemble a barley loaf of bread. But I don't want anybody to say that. Like if my wife came in and said, oh, like, okay, that's like call, isn't your wife calling you her little dough boy. Not flattering at all, okay? So Gideon goes down to the camp and he's listening and they basically called him a loaf of bread. Not scary, not flattering. I don't know where he gets this from. But anyway, this round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. This is his dream. And then his friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now this is incredible and cool because of this. What did Gideon say to the angel when he first appeared to him? He said, I'm the least in my family, and my family is the lowest in our clan, in our tribe. Nobody knows me. Nobody cares about me. I'm nobody. And yet, here, this Midianite in the camp is getting ready to go to battle, says that loaf of bread, that doughboy, could be nothing other than the sword of Gideon's son of Joash and of course that emboldened Gideon Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation he bowed down and worshiped he returned to the camp of Israel and called up get up the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands our perception of our situation at any given moment is not the same as God's perspective impossible situations will always seem impossible until we are able to see them from God's perspective. See, where we see uh, limiting, uh, limitations and overwhelming odds, God often sees opportunities. But in order for us to get a peek at God's perspective, we've got to do two things first. We've got to ask Him for His perspective, and we've got to be willing to see what He shows us. See, sometimes I think as believers, we get into tough situations, we may forget to ask God, like we don't even pray until after we've kind of exhausted all of our options that we can see, whatever our perception is, We're like, well, I can do this or I can do that, I can extend my loan or I can go ask my neighbor or my friend or my family or whatever, I could do this and that. And then after our attempts don't work, we pray and, and we go, okay, God, like nothing I tried worked, so what's your idea? So in order for us to really get a peek at God's perspective, we've got to ask Him, and we've got to get used to asking Him first. And when those first signs of trouble come, we've got, go, we got to stop and go, God, what do, what do I do? Give me eyes to see. Give me wisdom in this situation. Help me understand how I can get through this in the best way possible. And then we've got to be willing to see what He shows us, because sometimes God shows us how to get out of those struggles and those problems, and we don't want to do it. And so, and so we pretend kind of like we don't see. And then there's probably times in your life, like there have been in mine, where God was like, okay, here's what you need to do, and no, uh, no, I'm, not, I'm not, okay. Uh, plan B, God. Like, what else is there? I'm not interested in that. And and maybe it's because we've got to eat a little crow. Um, maybe it's because we got to go to somebody we didn't want to. Maybe there's some unforgiveness or some issues or or something. And maybe it's maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a relationship situation. And and God says, look, I can fix this, but but you're gonna have to open your heart to that person. And we go, nope. Not going to do that. Doesn't sound good at all. So we've got to ask him for his perspective, and then we've got to be willing to see what he shows us. The sign for Gideon was that God could use 300 fighters to do what Gideon perceived. Only a much bigger army, a much bigger army than the Midianites had, could accomplish. Gideon needed to get God's perspective on this situation. Gideon assumed, I think, what we all do, that, that things are as they seem to be. And when we go into situations in our lives, maybe it's at work or, or at home with our kids or, or whatever, we assume that what we see is reality, that, that what we perceive is actually the truth. But, but you know that's not true, right? Because C- I know, I, know, I don't even know all of you, I know There have been times in your life where you thought somebody said something or did something or looked a certain way. You perceived that, that perception became your reality, and then you found out later had nothing to do with you. They weren't looking at you. They weren't talking about you. They weren't talking to you. And you got all worked up about something that wasn't even true. We all believe that things are as they seem to be that our perception of a situation is the correct perception at each one of us if we were in Gideon's shoes would first attempt to amass an army much larger than the midianites and that the only way to win would be to, to fight with the same you know, like these people they fought with the same weapons okay this is not like um, they got one's got guns and one's got uh, rocks or something. That's not they all had the same weapons. They were all fighting. And so what they would do is they draw up battle lines. If You remember the story of David and Goliath. That's what they did. They would meet in a valley where it was kind of smooth at the bottom. And uh, each army would come from the sides, and they'd come into the middle kind, and they'd stand there, and they'd draw up their battle lines, and if they couldn't come to terms, the kings or whatever, they would just, like, run at each other and start fighting. And the way that you won a battle is you just uh, were able to lose more people than the other army. Like, that's how you won. You, you just, like, you could just allow more people to die, and, and if you had more people to spare, then you were the winner. That's kind of how that... Worked out. And so when Gideon looked at this situation, he looked at it with the same eyes that everybody else would. This is how you go to battle. This is what you do. And our 32,000 men are not going to make it against 135,000. They can lose 100,000 people before they get down to our level. It's impossible. And Gideon then has 300, and he's like, this is no, this is a slaughter. This is never going to happen. Unless Gideon has a change in his perspective. Esther Havens is a humanitarian photographer, and her role was to photograph people in impoverished situations around the world to help share the mission of organizations working in those areas. So um, like the Salvation Army and uh, Charity Water and a whole bunch of different ones. She was photographing these people in these terrible situations because, you know, they want kind of bad pictures to to send back so that we feel bad and give more money, okay? That's what they want. She always felt guilty doing this work because it was easy to hide behind her camera. She would go to these third-world countries, she would take pictures of starving children, and then she would return to her comfortable home in America. Now, at one point, she was even planning on giving up her work because she just couldn't deal with this inconsistency. She needed to figure out what she was going to do, quit, or keep going as things were. One day she was taking a photo of a Rwandan woman when she felt like God told her two things. Now, Esther is a believer, and as she was taking pictures of this woman for uh, some mission organization, she felt like she heard God say these two things. My light shines on them, And who we are is not our circumstances. Because of what she felt God said, Esther got the idea to get on the ground and angle her camera up at the mother she was photographing. She suddenly saw the sunlight reflecting on the woman, making her appear radiant. And she captured that moment on film. Instead of capturing this mother from above with flies buzzing around her head, she elevated the dignity of this woman. Now this experience created a new style of photography for Esther. I'm going to show you one of her pictures. This isn't the one that they're talking about in the story, uh, but this is the result of that moment that she heard from God. It allowed her to bring dignity to those she photographed. It was her hidden option when she knew things weren't working right for her when you feel like the odds are overwhelming in your life and there is no hope for your situation resist the urge to look only at your problems and the areas where you feel limited because that's what we do right when we face problems and and challenges and limits in our lives We tend to focus on those things, and and we end up making those challenges or problems, those limitations, uh, bigger. As as we focus on them, we kind of put a magnifying glass on them in our lives, and they get bigger and bigger. And pretty soon, we're going, "Look, I can't see a a way around. I can't see a way over this. It's too big." But we need to resist the urge to look only at our problems uh, and and areas of, of of limitations when we feel that way. Instead. We need to look for God, speaking in the midst of our situation, through His Word, through His Spirit into our spirit, or or maybe even through another mature believer. God has never told someone what was impossible, only what is possible. I never thought about that before, but it it came to me while I was working on the message this week. You look at all the times that God himself or an angel or Jesus has spoke to somebody in the Bible, not a single time has God ever said, this is impossible. He only talks about what's possible. And that was so comforting to me that, that so often in my life I focus on this thing, and I go, look, this will never happen, it'll, it'll never be. Let me give you a real, uh, a real life example. Um, I, I am thankful that we are able to meet here at the Civic Center I'm thankful for this building I'm thankful that the space we have for the kids church but it's not ideal it's not the best and and I don't think personally that it's where God wants us to be long term it feels like a long time we've been loading in every week and loading out every week but I don't think it's where God wants us to be and, and for whatever reason, um, we have been looking, leadership team and I have been, have been looking uh, lately at, at, at property and buildings. There's just nothing around. Um, and it's been really discouraging. Um, and, and, and I, and I, I don't want to give it away, but, but I, I think God's working on some stuff that's going to be really exciting for us in the coming years. But I talk to people, and I'm like, hey, I, I think this is where God is leading us. I think this is where God has taken us. And they go, oh, really? Um, so you got a lot of money saved and stuff? Are you ready for this? Nope. I mean, we, we look incredible. In three years, we went from $0 in savings uh, to almost $25,000 in, in our, in our uh, ready cash account. That's incredible for, for a church like this. Church our size It's incredible, but it's a drop in the bucket. It's a pinprick in what we would need to buy property and, and, and build a building, and yet we're still talking about that, and we're still moving forward with that. Not, and it, it would be easy. In fact, I, I find myself wanting to go back and go, why, am I, why bother? Like Why am I even looking? Why are we even talking to people about this? We don't have the money to do it. God, I think Satan wants us to focus on what we don't have, on our, on our problems, in, in our perception, and look at this and go, it'll never happen. Like, we're going to, like, just get used to it. We're going to be in the civic center for the rest of my life. But God has a different perspective. God doesn't talk about what's impossible. He talks about what's possible. And over and over again in scripture, we see incredible things happening when there was no ability for those things to happen. Gideon is going to go uh, to battle against 135,000 fighting men with 300 farmers and ranchers. It's never going to work. And yet God makes it work. Think about, think about all the times that the impossible Became not just possible, but probable and reality. A, a virgin birth. That's a pretty good one. Right? That's impossible, right? But it happened. A, a, a parted sea. The water split apart and dry uh, ground. Water from a rock. Salvation through a cross. The crippled hilled. The blind see. The deaf hear. God doesn't know impossible. We tend to focus on that, though. We look at our situations and we go, there's no way that I'll get out of this. There's no way that my marriage is going to be restored. There's no way that my finances are going to get sorted out. There's, there's no way that I'm going to make it through this. There's no way that this job is going to work. There's no way that I can, I can do it. God doesn't know impossible. Even though you may not be able to see what's possible, trust God's perspective on the situation because there is a hidden option. And that's what Gideon had to find out. Look, get close to wrapping up. Judges seven sixteen to 20. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, so there were 300, now he split them up into smaller groups. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Remember The uh, uh, people, when they left, they gave the provisions to the next group of people, their trumpets. And now all 300 of these guys have trumpets, they have jars, they have torches inside. Gideon says, verse 17, watch me, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Now Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets, they broke their jars uh, that were in their hands and the three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon found the hidden option but he had to be creative And he had to do some hard work. See, organizing a scenario where 300 warriors could sneak up on a massive invading military force was no small feat. If there was little hope to defeat such an army with 32,000, there was none for just 300. But Gideon's limitation in the size of his uh, military forced him to develop an unconventional plan of attack. Normally, those two armies would face off in daylight. They'd battle head to head, and Gideon and his men would have quickly lost that battle. But having fewer men required a different plan and led to an extraordinary victory. In fact, if you read the rest of the story, you find out that after Gideon has blown the trumpets, his 300 men, they basically don't even have to pull their swords out. The guys in the camp, God gives them into confusion. The Midianites, the Amalekites, the eastern peoples they wake up. They don't know what's going on. They come out of their tent. They see the flames from the 300 guys around the camp. They think they're surrounded. It's the middle of the night. They're not supposed to fight in the middle of the night. They freak out, and they end up killing each other. In fact, by the time that Gideon and his uh, small band of men, he calls some more people out to war chase the Midianites out of the country, there's only um, a few thousand left with a king. Finding and following the hidden option isn't the default in our lives. And so it takes work. It's difficult for us to to find that sometimes. And, and, And we have to be willing to see our limitations Not as limitations, but as opportunities to maybe do something different and change things up. Remember that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. And finding the hidden option means that we have to do something different. And when we do something different, we're going to get a different result. A spouse finding the hidden option for their marriage will need to put more effort into their relationship. The employee who seems stuck under a boss who who just doesn't get it will need to put more effort into the job in order to lead their boss into excellence. Moses couldn't sit back and relax after he learned of the hidden option to rescue God's people from slavery. Mary and Joseph didn't have an easy road after they discovered God's hidden option of saving the world through their son. Paul didn't rest after his conversion. He suffered greatly, so the hidden option of salvation could be discovered by every person possible. Look, you can't be passive in discovering and walking out the hidden options that God reveals if you're going to be successful. Just as love goes the extra mile for others, seeking God's creative option requires us to go the extra mile. But the extra work on the front end results in greater victories on the back end. You know, it would have been easy for Gideon to get frustrated with God. God took this, this big army and he whittled it down to 300. As far as those 301 men were concerned, they were marching to their death. But Gideon's limitation in manpower became an opportunity for a very different plan of attack. And it's interesting that when you read the story of Gideon, the Bible doesn't say that God told Gideon what to do with his 300 men. God told him how to get to 300 but then didn't tell him what to do after that. It just says Gideon took his 300 men and surprised the Midianites in the middle of the night. Gideon tapped into God's creativity by embracing his limitation. He knew he couldn't go to battle in a conventional way. He had to do something different. If all you've got is 300 men to take on an army of 135,000, You've got to be creative. You know, it's pretty popular today to say things like, God provides where he guides. And if God's going to see you to it, he's going to see you through it, and all of those things. But spend a little time in your Bible, and you'll find out that there are plenty of places where we could say, God guides where he doesn't provide. Over and over in Scripture, there are limitations of resources, limitations of budget, limitations of personnel, limitations in ideas or or know-how, but all of those limitations can be the catalyst to finding the hidden option. Instead of comparing yourself to others or complaining to God about what you don't have, begin to look at your limitations as opportunities. It could be that God wants to use your small stature, your lack of resources, uh, as you compare them to others anyway, your tiny budget or your current job situation. And those things could be exactly what God is looking for to bring about uncommon results. And so my prayer for the last few months has been this. God, we don't have the money to do the things that I think you're leading us to do. But if you show up in the middle of this, You will make your name great here in Eldorado. And and we at Real Life are not going to be able to say, look how good we are, look at the rich people we got in church, we could put together this money and we could do this thing. We're going to stand in our new place and we're going to thank God and worship Him because He showed up in a way that we couldn't. He took our limitations and He turned them into opportunities and did things that we couldn't imagine. Consider what God said to Gideon when he first called him to see things from a different perspective. He said, with too many men, Israel might claim their own strength saved them. If you never face limitations, you'll never learn to trust God. And so God uses our limitations to grow our faith and to grow his fame. What if you really believe That God had already given you everything you need in order to find the hidden option to your impossible problem. What if you actually believed that God already has given you everything that you need to overcome the limitations in your life? I think a couple things would happen. I think you'd connect with God's wisdom and creativity to find them. But if you already knew that God had given you what you needed, You'd look high and low, night and day, to find those options. If you already knew that God had given you what you needed, you wouldn't let your limitations hold you back. You'd plunge ahead. If you already had what you needed, you'd find it much easier to see things from God's perspective. If God had already given you what you needed, you'd work hard to find the creative solutions things that might be hidden in your perception to face and defeat the enemies in your life. And if we did that as a church, if we believed that God has already given us everything that we needed, we'd find more faith to accomplish greater things and see God's fame grow in our town. So I want to end with this this morning. What limitations might God wants to, want to use in your life or here at real life to glorify himself in Eldorado? And think about it this way. What kind of things in your life have you looked at as chains that were holding you back from accomplishing the things that you maybe think God wants to accomplish in your life? There, there's a chain in your life. There's something holding you back some limitation that you feel like you have what if god broke that chain what if god opened the door to some hidden options that allowed you to accomplish things and build your faith and increase his fame i think that'd be pretty amazing and i think we'd see the church and our own faith grow in incredible ways i, I want to encourage you this week when your faith struggles difficulties, when you're upset about the limitations you have in in, in finances, in strength, in relationship, whatever, to try to look at those limitations from God's perspective, to see them differently, and and then to go, God, okay, I don't don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to move ahead. I hope you'll take the time to do that this week. Seeing this last song, um, I was just listening to Corey's message and I think it really relates. Uh, we're going to do Chain Breaker again and um, during the verses it talks a lot about um, ourselves kind of introspectively um, looking at our own lives and then the chorus breaks out into um, basically giving it all to to God and realizing that we can't um, if we just listen to our own voices, we're going to go down a lot of different roads that we maybe should or shouldn't take. And um, the best thing we can do is trust trust in God's plan for our lives. And so if we go ahead and um, have everyone stand for this last song. If you've been walking the same